God, help us to be attentive to you and to your word. Give us ears that are good to hear the things you would have us hear and eyes that are good to see the things that you would have us see. Give us hearts that are good soil, receptive soil, to your word, to your way, uh, to your will, to your heart. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way are inconsistent with your word, may they not even be heard. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. Have you ever, uh, moment of truth, have you ever bought any exercise equipment that you didn't really ever use? Anyone, or I should say anyone else? A few of you. How long should you wait? What's the proper time to wait before you get rid of that, but before you list those things on Craigslist or call the Salvation Army for them to pick those things up? I'm not sure. Uh, have you ever joined a gym and then not gone enough to justify the monthly fee. I should say who else besides us? A few of us. Have you ever read an article or maybe even a book if you were ambitious about healthy eating, about good dietary habits, and taken that seriously and agreed with everything that was in the article or the book, believed it, agreed with it, and then done none of it, at least beyond several days? Anyone else in that category? Okay. All of the honest ones among us here. Have you ever read a set of instructions that came with something you bought and then thought and decided after reading the instructions that either it wasn't really important that you follow all those instructions or that you could figure out a shortcut or a better way on your own? Anyone else? All right. Lots of honesty. A friend and I, uh, a few years ago, a number of years back, uh, installed a garage door opener, a new garage door opener in our garage, in my garage, on the garage door, uh, followed the instructions, read the manual, put it all together, hit the button, and nothing happened. It didn't move. Unbelievable. It was very frustrating. So we went back through the instructions very carefully and noticed that there was one small step that we considered inconsequential that we just ignored and skipped. And it turns out that one little bitty inconsequential thing was really, really important. Do you remember that, Paul? <laughs> so we went back and followed the instructions and bam, wow, it was glorious. The garage door went up. Have you ever gotten guidance from an expert at something? Maybe you even asked that expert yourself for advice or guidance, and then you completely ignored that person's advice, guidance, expertise, and you did things your own way, to your own demise, whether that was a teacher or a doctor or a counselor or a therapist. Thanks for your honesty in the back. (laughs) Why do we do such things? I don't know. But we do. Even though this has been called to our attention by, among others, none less than the person Dallas Willard has described as the smartest man who ever lived, not just nice but brilliant, the smartest man who ever lived. And now listen to what that person said at the end of the largest block of his teaching or his instruction for life, a section of scripture in Matthew's gospel, chapters five, six, and seven that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Listen closely, this is Jesus speaking, this is the word of God. And he's just finished all this teaching. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And you may know that children's song that's taken from these verses, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Come on. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. Keep going. The rains came down, and the floods came up. Some of you know the motions. The rains came down, and the floods came up. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. Yeah, we know the song. We know the scripture. And it's a wonderful song. I sung it as a child, loved it, still remembered it 300 years later. We may still sing it in our children's ministry. I don't know. I do know what Jesus' words or his warning from the end of the Sermon on the Mount have made it into the simplest of even and probably all of the children's Bibles in children's Bible storybooks that I've read. The two contrasting foundations and two very different outcomes make for very vivid imagery for children, a lot of fun. But are we really listening to what Jesus said and what he was saying? We sing it, we know it, but do we? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built his or her house on the rock, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built his or her house on sand. The difference between the wise person and the foolish person is not Jesus' words, but the putting them into practice. The difference between the person whose life is built on solid ground and who withstands storms in life on the one hand and a person who is regularly dealing with disasters that are largely his or her fault or responsibility, on the other hand, the difference is the putting into practice or the not putting into practice of the things that Jesus taught here in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere. The things that he taught about how the world is, how people are, how life works, how you are, how I am. The difference between a life built on a strong foundation and a life built on an unstable foundation, according to Jesus, is in a word, praxis. Let's say that together. Praxis. Defined by various dictionaries like this. A, putting into use in a practical way something that you have learned. The process by which a theory, lesson, or skill is enacted, embodied, or realized. The practical application of a theory, practice as distinguished from theory. However, as Dallas Willard has written, the idea of having faith in Jesus has come to be totally isolated from being his apprentice and learning how to do what he said. 
That's just one sentence, but I think it's really important. The idea of having faith in Jesus, which is what we talk about and do and hear and have embraced, has come to be totally isolated from being his apprentice and learning how to do or to put into practice what he said. Doing what Jesus said has in many Christian circles and experiences become secondary to things like going to church. We talk about the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is not just going into all the world and making disciples and baptizing people, but it is also necessarily, inherently, teaching those people, Jesus said, to obey everything I commanded you. Obedience. In other words, putting Jesus' teaching into practice. We sometimes recoil or refrain from using the word obedience or even the word obey because of connotations we've gotten from somewhere about what that means. But it is, obedience is the way, according to Jesus, to a life built on, as we sing in an old hymn, solid ground. A life in which we can have confidence in our home. Few Christians have a plan for teaching people to do everything that Jesus has commanded. We embrace the Great Commission, go to Guatemala, go to Zambia, go to Indonesia, go into your schools. But few of us have a plan for doing what Jesus said, which is to teach people to obey what he was teaching to obey what he was commanded. Few Christians have a plan for themselves, ourselves, perhaps because we assume it's simply not possible. Jesus' teachings were so lofty. In the past and in some places still today, there have been and there are communities of Christians who have actively sought as communities to live according to the way of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, literally the words of Jesus not taking them all literally, but taking Jesus' words at face value. The Benedictine order, back in sort of what we know today as the Catholic Church, and the rule of St. Benedict are one example of such. But by and large, we as the church, we as Christians, have dismissed such communities and such disciplines and such practices as either medieval or overly legalistic, or naive, or maybe that's just too much work, or as opposed to the doctrine of grace, which is nonsense. The teachings of Jesus actually are grace, and they are a means of God's grace manifest in our lives for those of us who will welcome them, who will partner with God, who will embrace Jesus' teaching. The teachings of Jesus actually are grace. And they are a means of God exhibiting and manifesting his grace in our lives in the world and in the world. The stated mission of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Are we doing that? 
Are you becoming more and more fully devoted as a follower of Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus? Are you living more and more like Jesus would if he was in your shoes? Is your life shaped more and more by Jesus' teaching and Jesus' way so that storms don't knock your house down and so that you are more and more able to see, experience, and participate in God's kingdom of love in your midst, in your household, in your life, in your relationships, in your community? Do you see it coming because you are living more fully into obedience, into practicing what Jesus told us, smartest man who ever lived, how to live, how to do life? If we rewound through the Sermon on the Mount, we would hear Jesus teaching about anger and about worry and about generosity or non-generosity, and about prayer and about fasting, and about how we treat our friends and how we treat our neighbors and how we treat the person who doesn't have what we have, even though we have two of them, and what we do with our enemies or toward our enemies. All very relevant things for life and the spirit and the heart of a person. Too often... The church has largely been a spectator sport in a lecture hall that people attend once a week or once a month for an hour. We're going way over that this morning. But being in a sanctuary makes a person a follower of Jesus, you've heard this, about as much as being in a garage makes a person an automobile. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. To follow Jesus means to means going to the sorts of places and the sorts of people that Jesus went to, doing the sorts of things that Jesus did and the way that he did them. Seeing the world and seeing people as Jesus saw the world and as Jesus saw people. Having this sort of a relationship with his father that Jesus had with his father, our father. Understanding oneself as Jesus understood himself. In the words of author and popular professor these days, Scott McKnight, those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. (laughs) It's that simple. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into a society where justice rules, where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to take up his dream and work for it. You can't hate your enemies and call yourself a Christian. You can't refuse to forgive someone and call yourself a Christian. You can't ignore your neighbors. Think about your neighborhood and the people you live around. You can't ignore your neighbors and call yourself a Christian. You can't keep all of your resources for yourself and call yourself a Christian. At the risk of offending many. Some would say that you can't be in favor of torture as a national policy or capital punishment and call yourself a Christian. You'll have to find another name. Of course, none of this is about being good or about being righteous. It's not even primarily about one standing in God's eyes. God knows who we are. God knows how we are. God knows all of that. We're unrighteous. We're unloving. We aren't good a lot of the time. 
This isn't what this is about. Jesus is not a rigid schoolmaster or parent. Rather, seeking to learn from Jesus and speak like Jesus and act like Jesus and react like Jesus reflects Jesus' care for people. And again, his grace. We have to read and see in Jesus' admonitions to his followers here great compassion, care, and love. Wanting them to have an existence, to live an existence, to experience abundance was his intention for people, for people like you and me to experience joy and overflowing peace and radical love in our lives. That is the purpose of Jesus' teaching and that his kingdom would come not just for us and among us but out in the world and where other people will see and that people will see, as Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, See our good works. See the way that we're living according to his teaching. See our practicing, trying, effort, training in grace and glorify his Father in heaven. What will it be like for us to become a church with that as truly our mission? We would have to renegotiate some roles. We would have to renegotiate what I do and what you do and how we relate to one another and what we are about and what our mission truly is and whether or not we believe that mission, take it seriously, and want in each one of our lives to seek to put into practice all of the great important salvific things that Jesus said even though they're hard and many of them are really hard I think if you haven't acknowledged how hard the Sermon on the Mount is you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount many of us studied the Bible have studied the scriptures uh, old preacher years ago said and it just stuck in my head we read the Bible not to master the Bible but to be mastered by the Bible and that really applies to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in particular. Will we become practitioners? Will we become people who take seriously putting into practice the life-giving teaching of Jesus, as hard as it may be? There are lots of metaphors that we could use for the church. There's this thing... Uh, in Japanese culture called a dojo. Familiar with a dojo? A place to go and train uh, martial arts, learn a skill, develop a way of life. What if the church was like a dojo, like a Jesus dojo? A place, a community, a gathering of people whose intention is to learn to put into practice the teaching of Jesus individually while we're out on our own, and corporately as a body. What would that look like? How would that be? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built his or her house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built his or her house on the sand. 
Jesus uh, makes it really easy for us in some ways. What sort of foundation are we building our houses on? What sort of foundation will undergird or not our lives? Let's pray. Help us, God, not to be worried about how good we are because uh, we know that no one is good but God alone and that you have loved us and promised to always love us despite who we are and how we are. But help us to live into the teachings of Jesus, to the way of Jesus, to the path of Jesus. To begin more and more each day to do the things that he said would make for good life and to do the things that would extend his blessing and to do and be about the things in your grace and by your gracious power and help to bring about your kingdom, your reign, your reality, your rule in our hearts and in our world. Help us bring it about. In Jesus' name, amen.